Um, it's lovely to be here and it's lovely to have a testimony to give. Um, it says in Proverbs 22, verse 6, to train up a child in the way that it should go and when it is old, it'll not depart from it. And you know, that really is true. Um, it also says in Ecclesiastes 11 and 1, to cast your bread upon the waters for after many days, you'll find it. And really that is the truth for me. Um, I was brought up in a Christian home. I had that as a privilege. And, you know, looking now at the youth in our village in Donaclone, it's a privilege that I had taken for granted. To be brought up in a Christian home is something special. It's something to be treasured. So if you're being brought up in a Christian home, rejoice. And at the age of nine, um, I had asked the Lord into my heart at a children's meeting in the Free Peace. Now, mum and dad started in the Brethren, went to Lurgan Free Peace, and uh, it's a long journey after that. <laughs> but if there was a meeting on, I was at it. And I actually, up in, uh, at the age of nine, I love to go to church. I love to be at meetings, and I love to be involved. And I would love to stand here and tell you that from the age of nine, I have just wandered fantastically with the Lord. And I can guarantee you my mother wouldn't be as grey if that was the truth (laughs) but it wasn't and at the age of 13 just in that transition stage when you start going to high school is when I started to change and I started to rebel against God and especially against going to church and I would have found any excuse not to go you know be it I'm staying at a friend's house and uh, always made sure it was a friend who didn't have to go to church and and you know it just wasn't making it back in time mum sorry You know, any excuse not to go. And, you know, that rebellious heart started at about 13. By the age of 14, to my shame, I can only tell you that um, I had got into a wrong crowd and started, it just starts with one. So I'm looking at some young people here at the back, and I know some of you have just started high school. And it just starts with one, one cigarette, one drink, and before you know it, it was one drug. And at the age of 14, I had found myself in a place called Circus Circus in Bambridge. And if you knew what it was, it was just a rave and it was drug-induced rave. And you walked up and it was just like going into a sweetie shop. And there was drug dealers on both sides and they just offered their words to you. And um, that's what I thought was a good Saturday night entertainment. And, you know, um, I'm sure my poor mother's heart was broke. Because the lies I told that woman, you know, and and I had this, as you can obviously see, a very angelic look, you know. But she trusted me and I was telling her I was away to, you know, I'm just away to the cinema and staying at my friend's house, you know. And that just wasn't the truth. But, you know, God had his hand on me even then. Because when my best friend started to date a drug dealer and she took off and ran away from home, God had a very different plan for me because something physically was going wrong in my body. And at the time, I was in Dromore High School. And as I was walking just from... They had mobiles outside. Um, and to get me into the main building, by the time I had got there, I was breaking a sweat. I looked like I had ran a marathon. I was shaking and I was just really exhausted. And I knew something wasn't right in my body. And this continued for a few weeks and I was at the doctor's and mum had was just continually tired. And mum was just thinking, Oh, it's just I've got a lazy teen here, you know. She'll not she'll not do the hoovering or she'll not do anything because she's tired, you know. 
And that really wasn't the case. There was something physically wrong with me. And at the age of 15, I had a diagnosis of ME, which is myalgia encephalitis. Uh, it's a very big word. But really, it was known as like the yuppie flu. And um, it really took some time to even get that as a diagnosis because they really didn't know what was wrong with me. And, you know, whenever I took that, um, really, mum had to become my primary care. There was, I couldn't do anything at the last. I had crashed so much that when my body shut down, I would have taken a panic attack. I would have been in real fear. I thought I was going to die. And at the age of 15, I just couldn't understand what was going on in my body. And it got to a point where I was just literally bedridden. And my mum, at times, would have had to have even fed me. Um, she would have had to have helped me to the bathroom to help me get washed and just to do all my personal care and all for me. So... Um, this went on for a wee while and we went to all the doctors that we could find and we were referred to specialists and the lovely thing that the specialist said is Alison, there's no cure for this there's no even treatment for this what I want you to do is just keep a chart of your good days and your bad days until gradually we hope to see an improvement in your good days and I sort of thought you're having a laugh I was pleased to have a diagnosis because at one point it was looking like mum had thought it was going to be leukaemia that I had. So I was relieved to get a diagnosis. I knew it wasn't down, but I was also disappointed because there's no cure. And um, that was really my life until I was about 16. And after that, um, we did slowly see an improvement. And I began to get strength and began to have better days. And after that, Instead of sort of thinking to myself, you know, maybe there was a point to me having an ME that maybe the Lord had set me aside. That wasn't my thought. My thought was everybody else um, was out having a great time and now I was finally feeling better and I had missed out. So I planned to get caught up. And so I was worse than ever I was. And um, I say that to my poor mother's heartbreak. Um, I decided then at about the age of uh, 18, I think it was, that what my new career was going to be was a nurse. And what I wanted to do was go to Scotland because you could go to Scotland. <laughs> Barbara and mum are laughing already because they know how this story goes. So I thought I would go to Scotland and um, do an aptitude test and I would get in um, to do my nursing this way. It was really a wee, you didn't have to do all your exams and that because I had MA I'd missed um, my GCSE. So this was another way in the door. So off we went to Scotland, me and my friend Zoe. And uh, I honestly laugh now when I think of it that we had to do an aptitude test because this was the height of the intelligence of the two of us, that neither one of us had the wisdom to set an alarm for the morning to get up in time to go to do the test. Instead, when we arrived in Glasgow, we met up with our friends from uni, went out partying, partied all night and didn't actually manage to wake up to about four that following afternoon. So how I was supposed to do an aptitude test, I have no idea. Not an ounce of sense. And, you know, during that, though, during that time, I can now, in hindsight, begin to see how God was letting circumstances into my life. Because, you see, I had tried every party there was. I had tried every rave. If you told me there was a, a, a big thing going on in Dublin, I'd have had a busload and we'd have been there, you know. The thing is, the world only satisfies for a short time. And its sin only lasts it, 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 it's, it's good, but it only lasts for a season. There's no happiness in it. There's nothing in it. Nothing began to satisfy my soul. No drug, no drink, nothing. 
and being in Scotland and I thought getting away from mum and dad and having that freedom to do as I wanted and live as I pleased, there was no satisfaction in that either. And after a, f a few months, obviously we had no job, um, we were on the brew and we literally had no money. And after a while, one of us, it was actually Zoe because I'm stubborn, had to bow the knee and phone our mum and go, can you come and get us? And, you know, after that, whenever I came home, uh, dear love my poor mummy, I phoned and went, mum, you're going to have to come and get me. But before you come and get me, I just want to tell you now, don't be telling me I told you so, otherwise I'll just stay here. I'm sure the poor woman said it was right. <laughs> and she didn't. She didn't say I told you so. She didn't say. She just let me find out the hard way. And, and that's how I had to learn. And uh, I have two daughters and I pray that they never find out the hard way uh, because it's, it's foolishness. But I came home and um, I was really under conviction. And at the time I worked in Donna Cloney Nursing Home. And uh, it just seemed to be everywhere I went, I couldn't get away from this one thing, that the Lord was coming back soon. There was a wee lady um, that we cared for in the home, and she was a lovely Christian lady. And she was so sure that the Lord was coming back before she would die. And I'm thinking, this woman's 90, you know. She's sure the Lord's coming back. I don't have that long, you know. And there was one particular incident that always sticks in my head, and there were two different women. And one was saved and one wasn't. And I happened to be there at both of their deaths. And one died with a smile on her face with the peace of God. And that spoke to me. And the other one didn't. The other one had this horrendous, horrific death that I had to help her through. And it, it really vexed my soul. I realised there was a heaven and a hell. And the realities of this were beginning to come into my life. And it got to a point where... Um, mum and dad went away on holidays and normally when mum and dad go away on holidays that's an excuse for me to have a party uh, one time when she went away on holidays I'm confessing now, plug your ears I actually brought a busload of people a full coach filled with people to Alison's house for a party brilliant, almost got away with it except my brother kept pigeons and somebody had been in the pigeon shed and set his pigeons free and uh, <laughs> let me tell you he was not too pleased because some of them were obviously very expensive. So whenever mum said she was going on holidays, I thought, great, I'll have a party. Brilliant. And, you know, I said to Zoe, uh, we're having, going to have a party. Excellent. Get, every, get the word out. Everybody will be here. Brilliant. And nobody came that night. And it was the most surreal moment because free house, everybody always came. And instead of partying, me and Zoe started to talk about what was happening in our lives. And I started to feel this real conviction and we actually read a, a wee bit of out of a bible that I had been given as a children's meeting and you know um, Zoe's sister came along and said you know uh, there's a mission going on in Banbridge Free Peace we just go to it and, and I'll be honest I was dying to get to church but I, I knew if I asked my mum she would have happily brought me but I also would have had to yet again admit that mummy knows best you know and that's a very hard thing to confess to and um, whenever we were invited, I went along. And I can actually remember the night I went because I stood outside um, my friend's house and I had my last cigarette. And I went with the attitude, if I hear anything tonight that makes any sense to me, I'm going to give my heart to the Lord. And I d that's what happened. I went that night. And If you ever had the privilege of hearing uh, Pastor Ivan Thompson, he was a jokey man. You know, he was jovial. And the next thing, he'd have been joking about, and then he just hit you with a big punch. And he hit you with a real gospel truth. 
And honestly, I felt to me it was like he was speaking on my life because he started to speak on the parable of the prodigal son. And as you know, the prodigal son was the rebellious son. And really, it was like he was speaking on my life. It was like the big finger of God had come down and said, here's you here, Alison. I had gone into the far country. I'd squandered my inheritance. I'd broke my poor mother's heart. And I could come back and I was still so dissatisfied. And let me read. It's in Luke um, 15. Let me just read a few of the scriptures. Um, you know the story. I've sort of told you. He, goes, he, he takes his inheritance and he goes and uh, uh, he squanders it all and he ends up um, in the pig pen. And he comes to himself and he says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father and when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him and said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. And you know, see that night when I surrendered my heart, that's exactly what happened to me. The father, when you read this, I actually have it highlighted. When I read and I think of myself as the sinner in need of a saviour and then I read about the father and this is what you read. The father's always in action. Listen to him. He saw him. He was watching for him. You know, maybe you're here and you're not saved. The father's watching for you. He's waiting to see where you are. He's waiting for you. He was watching him. He saw him. He had compassion on him. He ran. You know, this is the only time in scripture when you hear of God running. He ran to meet me and he'll run to meet you. He ran. He fell on his neck and he kissed him. He didn't condemn him. Instead, he put a a robe on him. He gave him a ring, which was to say that you're my son. He gave him shoes for his feet and he rejoiced. He killed the fatted calf and the maid Mary. And you know, that night when I gave my heart to the Lord, was sang this wee hymn. And being honest, if I was halting between two opinions, this was the hymn that put me over. Because here's what it said. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. If you don't know the Lord, my advice is that you come home to him because he's waiting with his arms outstretched for you. So whenever I got saved, I came home and I told my mum and uh, to admit that mum was obviously always right and, uh, you know, she just gave me a big hug and she couldn't have been any... And if you know my mum, my mum's a crier at the best of times, so she, <laughs> she just cries her way through. But uh, she cried and she rejoiced and she gave me... Uh, it was a, 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 a calendar, a monthly... Um, reading that it was actually my granda would always give it my brother and granda gave it to mum it was always in our house and it's a daily reading calendar and she gave it to me and she says Alison this is for you and this was the scripture on it and it's quite an obscure little scripture it's um, Exodus 12 verse 2 and it says this month shall be on to you the beginning of months it shall be the first month of the year to you and when you're reading it it's in reference to the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and you know Egypt is a type of the world 
and I was coming out of my Egypt and it was the first month of the year to me and um, it's in the month of Abib and when you look that up it's the month of new corn and new grain and you know I became a new creature that month and my life has never been the same again and that was on the 14th of March 1997 that's 20 years ago so now you all know how old I am (laughs) and you know from that I just could not get enough of the Lord I just went to every meeting anywhere there was a meeting I wanted to be at and I started going to the cleft and I blame Clive because it was at the cleft pouring tea that I met Ken and um, obviously I made a good cup of tea that's all I can tell you (laughs) because within the year um, Ken and I were married and you know just before we got married Ken had had an accident in work and a creative cook believe it or not of all things had fell off a pallet and knocked him clean out so this had put Ken out of work so I became the breadwinner in the house and at the time I was actually working in Bambridge in uh, a children's playgroup and um, I can remember the day that it happened. I was coming home from Bambridge and I was on the Westlink and we lived at the time in Ken's and everybody that knows Ken, he actually does believe that he lived in a ninth floor apartment on Mount Vernon Flats on the Shore Road. (laughs) Apartment, we'll use that. But let's just say it was great for your prayer life because um, there was alcoholics, drug addicts, paramilitaries, you name it, prostitutes, all in this wee building and I used to get into the lift and go please Lord don't let anybody get into the lift with me (laughs) don't let anybody get into the lift and it was all right that nobody ever got into the lift because whenever I got into my flat that's where they all were and Ken had them all around telling them they needed to be saved but (laughs) um you know I was driving home and I could feel my body shutting down on me and it's just, when I explain to people what Emmy's like, it's like somebody takes your batteries out or unplugs you and your body just shuts down. You have no power, you have no energy, you have nothing. And I was sitting on the West Link and I could feel this happening and I cried on to the Lord. I said, Lord, I was stuck and you know what it's like in the West Link, it was traffic everywhere and I needed to get to the shore road. And I can only tell you, I have no idea how I got from the West, I have no memory of it from the West Link to Mount Vernon Flats on the Shore Road. But that is where I ended. And I sat in the car and Ken had actually, of all times, been waiting to see where I was and came down and got me. And it was then I realised I was relapsing again with Amy. Partly the doctor said it was stress. I think it was the stress of married life. (laughs) Sorry, dear. And, you know, (laughs) that was a really hard time because now we had no money, um, neither of us were working, and I wasn't well. But, you know, I could list you if time had permitted, and it's not going to, lots of times and different occasions where the Lord just met our need. He never met our greed, but he always met our need. And it became aware that we could call him Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. And it began to dawn on us that if the Lord could meet our financial needs, then why could he not meet my physical needs? that he was also Jehovah Rapha, that he was the Lord, my healer. And so we began to look into this. Um, we went to Whitewell on the shore road at the time and Pastor McCall um, would have believed in healing. He had healing services. And so we went along to the healing services. I got prayed for. I was anointed with oil. I was prayed for by the elders. Um, Ken actually fasted and prayed for me. Uh, we, we tried everything. 
and we asked the Lord and we just kept asking and you know maybe you're here and maybe you're asking the Lord for something and you haven't got the answer yet my advice to you is to pray through to quote Ken don't be through praying pray through because that is you're praying and you're knocking and you're you're at the right door the answer just may be slow at coming but that's what me and Ken began to do and we started to pray and it was during this time that the Lord gave me this verse of scripture now taking into account how I physically was and how I physically was feeling this was the scripture he gave me hast thou not known hast thou not heard that the everlasting God the Lord the creator of the ends of the earth fainteth not neither is weary there is no searching of his understanding he giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might he increases strength even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings as eagles they shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint so anytime I was having a bad day and I couldn't even make it up the stairs that was my scripture and I kept trusting the Lord to renew my strength. And the one thing I always said, time's really flying here. The one thing I always wanted and made sure I had energy for was to make the breaking of bread service in Whitewell. I felt that was my time to meet with the Lord. And it was during that time, uh, uh, it was no particular Sunday, it was just like any other. I had gone to church, I'd gone to break bread and I'd gone to meet with the Lord. And we were around the Lord's table at the time and Pastor McCall started to sing be still and know that I am God well I knew that course and I started to sing it as well and the second part of that course and he says I want to sing I want you to sing this next verse and if you're here and you're in your need I want you to stand up and just worship the Lord and ask him to touch you and the second verse of that goes like this I am the Lord that healeth thee and I stood up and I started to worship and as I did all I can tell you is I felt a heat from the top of my head to the soles of my feet I felt actually thought Ken had got up because I could feel a hand on my shoulder and the heat where that hand would be and like somebody's arm was around me and I just stood there and I worshipped and I worshipped and I praised and look I had heard this scripture before it's not that I hadn't heard it but I felt it something different happened within me I knew it I knew the Lord had touched me this scripture entered my heart. It was the rhema word of God. And you know, Pastor McCollum would say that the Lord's good for testing and he's good for proving. And he, he said, look, if you feel you've been touched, come back to me in three days. And I went, that's, yeah, that's okay. I'm going to, because as you know, with me, it could be up or down. So I went, right, that's what I'll do. I'll give it three days. And you know, by the third day, I was bouncing about the house. King didn't know what was going on. You know, he had a whole new wife. Instead of the one that he had to care for and was sick and was ill, I was up, I had to hoover and done the dinner made. Uh, I was just full of the joy and full of energy because see, when God heals you, he doesn't just heal you physically. He heals you mentally and he heals you spiritually and he makes you whole. And that's what, that's what happened to me. And so we've done the one thing, um, as I said, Pastor McConnell said, do the one thing you couldn't normally do. Well, I couldn't walk to the end of the street, let alone what I was about to do. And I said to Ken, I want to walk up to the Cave Hill. And of course we did. Now, the last part, Ken might have had to trail me, but let me tell you, I got to the top of the Cave Hill and I knew I was healed and I never looked back from that day. And, you know, maybe you're here and you're ill. And maybe you've never even thought to ask the Lord. Maybe you're not aware that he's not just, you know, 
He's not a god just out here. He's my personal friend. He's more real to me than most of you. He's my best friend. He's the person I talk to if I have a problem. Um, that really is my testimony, and time has really flown. And I just want to leave you with this We thought that no matter what you're going through, that the Lord can help you. Um, that really actually was only the beginning of, of my testimony. I could be here for the night, and you thought he was the talker in the family. <laughs> That's not really true. Um, that really was just um, about, 20, about 19 years ago, 18 years ago. And that really is just the start of my walk with the Lord. And uh, to quote Pastor Gordon McGee, every day I have a mountaintop experience. Either I'm on top of the mountain or the mountain's on top of me. Alison, do you have a, a wonderful life? No. Some days are good, some days are bad. We've been through some very dark valleys, but let me tell you, the Lord has always been with me. He's never left me. He's never forgot me. He's never forsaken me. And it says in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shall not be burned, and neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. So if you don't know my Lord, it's time you did. You know, the little course says it all. And I am now saved 20 years. I'll be 20 years on the 14th of March. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The longer I love him, more love he bestows. Each day is like heaven and my heart overflows. The longer I love him. I can't even finish it because I'm going to start crying. (laughs) The sweeter he grows. That's my testimony.